0: Obria Medical Clinics are revolutionizing pregnancy resource centers nationwide by transforming them into comprehensive women's medical clinics. Their mission is to provide comprehensive, compassionate care that empowers women to choose life. With 21 locations across America, they are the leading life-affirming healthcare provider in the nation. Learn more about how Obria Medical Clinics are creating a healthier future for women and their babies by visiting obriagroup.org.
1: I'd welcome to another episode of A Reason for Hope. Candid. We got the Candid crew here, of course, with Dr. Ralph Martin, professor at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Still professor? Okay, yep. I got that right. Research yep. is Haven't good. Been fired yet? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you after this interview. But uh, <laughs> right. also an amazing writer. Uh, Crisis in the Church. We all read that book uh, as yeah. a as a group, um, I guess last year. Mm. Um, and it's it's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Oh, good, good to be here. I I love being in Northern New Jersey because I grew up here in Teaneck, New Jersey and went to Bergen Catholic High School in Oradell, and my parents lived in Montvale for a while. And so oh, nice. I've lost my Jersey accent though, as you that's can okay. tell. <laughs> that's all right.
1: Yeah, no, I went to St. Joe's actually, and well, I went to Bergen freshman year. Oh yeah, so, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Know yeah. nice. very well. Yeah, awesome.
2: I'm even in the Hall of Fame at Bergen Catholic. Are you? Yeah, I don't think it was for my football skills. It must have been something different. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> I'm in the Hall of Fame for. Uh,
1: I think they called demerits jugs there. Justice under God. So I may, I may be in the Hall of Records for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 a lot of, uh, a lot of detentions. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have like a one-way traffic rule. On look, did they have that when you were there? You're yeah. only allowed to walk in one direction down the hall. Really? Even if your your classroom was right here. So I would try to cut, what? get caught, ah. and then get a detention. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forget.
2: <laughs> but in those days, wow. the brothers did uh, corporal punishment. Ah. ah. And and if you did something bad, you had to stretch out your hands, and they had a leather <laughs> strap, and they really whacked Ooh. you really hard. It really hurt. And in those days too, you didn't have like choice. Like I wanted to play the drums in the band and the brother (laughs) said, no, you got to play the clarinet. I (laughs) hate playing the clarinet, (laughs) but they needed a clarinet (laughs) player. So that's what happened. Wow, That's so crazy. those are the days. Yeah, <laughs> we
1: kind of do that at A Ray of Hope too. Whenever Jimmy wants to not play the drums, we kind of slap him around <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 behind the drums, make him sing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: but I will not play the clarinet.
1: So. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> well,
3: we don't have players,
1: so please. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Mm, clarinet yeah. solo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Let's let's get into some some questions. We uh, we definitely want to pick your brain um, about uh, many different things. Uh, so I guess we'll go down the it's line. It's pickings. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's no. good. No. <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: Okay, so um, I was going to start off with just some questions of um, what do most Catholic Catholics not know? I feel like our generation, a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings are kind of reverting back to their faith after almost being misinformed when they were going through Catholic school and catechesis. Um, and it actually deters you from the faith, but having learned working here, some of those things, it's like, well, I wish I was never taught that that way when I was a kid, because now there's things that I have to unlearn. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll just run down this question really, this list really fast and see see what your answers are. Um, could you cite or explain um, why the Eucharist is the real presence for somebody who was never taught that as a kid? Mm. Yeah. Honestly, I think it goes back to more fundamental misunderstandings.
2: Sure. I feel like a lot of Catholics don't really understand what God revealing something to us really is and mm. the authority of it. So I feel like the number one priority really for Catholics to begin to understand what the faith is, is to recover their understanding of what sacred scripture is. That's mm. where it all starts and that's mm. where everything comes forth, all the Catholic doctrines come forth. Right. And so uh a lot of people don't realize that what Vatican II taught about sacred scripture, which the church has always taught about it in uh, constitution and Sacred Revelation, it says that the primary author of sacred scripture is God. Mm-hmm. That's the book we wanna read. Yeah. 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 And it says he works through human authors, you know, using their culture, their language, their mentality, their psychology, but what he inspires them to teach is the word of God. It, it's revealed truth. And because it's coming from God, it has an authority that nothing else does, you know? Mm. And then in section 11 of the Constitution of the Church, talks about it says that everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. And to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. So our salvation depends on actually paying attention to the revealed word of God. And everything else flows from that. That, That's where we get the doctrine about the Eucharist. That's where we get the doctrine about salvation, which is even more fundamental than anything else. Mm. So uh, I think it starts there. And then what that reveals to us is the unique status of Jesus. Like a lot of people are really like, people have warm feelings towards Jesus, you know, he's compassionate, he's kind, he's a nice guy, you know, type of thing. <laughs> he forgave the woman caught in adultery. But then they don't really notice that every time that Jesus extends mercy to somebody, he expects them to repent. Mm-hmm. You know, You know, you're forgiven, I don't condemn you, but, go and sin no more type of thing. And so Mm. I think a lot of Catholics are very confused about how merciful Jesus is and not understanding that Jesus's mercy is this tremendous undeserved gift. Mm -hmm. It isn't like we're owed mercy. It's like he offers mercy, he offers forgiveness. And the fundamental suffering of the human race is sin. You know, it's, that's where death comes from. That's where suffering comes from. That's where broken relationships come from. And so the fundamental healing that God's come to brought to the human race is forgiving. Your sins are forgiven. You know, that's that's really the fundamental thing that Jesus does, you know? And so uh, there's just so much that flows from that. But I just wanted to say that there's some really fundamental issues about who Jesus is, how we know what truth is, that kind of comes before these other, other, other questions.
0: Hey, wanna help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on a reason for hope. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a, a lack of talking about sin too. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking to one of the um, uh, teachers at my parish for, for, for youth mm-hmm. catechesis, and he was talking to the youth about sin and, and you know how, how they're, they're essentially born into original sin, before baptism, and they were, they were kind of confused. They'd mm-hmm. never like, been, yeah. been told that before. Yeah. And so it's almost like we don't know, we're not raised uh, to know that we need mercy, yeah. essentially.
2: No, exactly, I think that's really, really true. I think that the, the truth about original sin is being totally buried, neglected, denied. Yeah. You know, everybody's a good person. Yeah. Well, everybody's a beautifully good person created in the image of God, but something's gone wrong. You know, we we really do share in that horrible rebellion against God that our first parents kind of went into. You know, know, hey, if you do this, you're going to die. And then the devil whispers in your ear, no, nah, he's he's not telling you the truth. You're not gonna die. You know, mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. You'll be like gods. That's what's really going on in our culture today. I mean, the human race is falling for the same lie, saying, <laughs> Yeah, we don't need God. We can be gods ourselves. We mm-hmm. can solve our own problems, you know. Technology in a matter of years will make us all live forever and you know, uh, yeah. you know, and medical science is advancing, you know, and whatever. And and if just the elite could control the world, we wouldn't have any problems anymore, you know. And yeah. if we could just solve global warming, I mean everything's okay, you know, the type of thing. And it's yeah. just a big lie. And yeah. so there's really a massive rebellion against God that's going on right now. I mean, huge chunks of traditionally Catholic and Christian countries are saying, we don't need God anymore. You know, and it's really tragic. And, and, and that it's rooted in the denial of our fallen condition that we, we don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, we don't desire right. You know, we all have kind of disordered desires because of original sin. And Jesus has come to heal us of those disordered desires and bring us into union with him so that the true image of God that he created us in can more and more come to the fore and the image of the devil, you know, recede. Mm. Do you think that spawns from
1: a misinterpretation of we're made good in the image and likeness of God that people just pay attention to the first part, that we're made good. So then people think, well I'm I'm a good person. Right. And it's funny uh, Dennis Prager was saying that um you know, you know oh, I don't I didn't rob a bank and I didn't murder it's like okay that doesn't make you a good person it just doesn't make you a criminal.
4: Right. <laughs> so people kind of yeah. go yeah. through
1: life yeah. saying well I'm a good person and I'm and we're all born good. Yeah. He obviously challenges and says that we're not human nature is not basically good because why else would we have the 10 commandments we need to constantly cultivate goodness. Yeah. So there is goodness you're born with, but you have to constantly cultivate. It. You're not just born yeah. good because otherwise, what would be the point of combating evil? And, yeah. and you'd, you'd always do the right thing.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Like that, that gospel passage, you know, John chapter three, verse 16, that mm. you know, the guy used to run around the stadiums holding that up and that type <laughs> of thing. It's a very short statement of the gospel, but it's really true. You know, God so loved the world. It's all about love. You know, we exist because we're loved. You know, the the universe exists because God wants to share glory with us. God so loved the world, but he didn't leave us in our fallen condition. He didn't leave us in our rebellion, and he doesn't want to leave us with death and suffering. And so God loved us so much, he sent his only son. So the means that God has established for us to be rescued from sin and death and suffering is Jesus. And then it says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So there has to be a response to Jesus. You know, we have to say, Jesus, I trust you to bring me out of this. I trust you to forgive my sins. I trust you to, if I believe in you and, and persevere to the end, that you'll raise me on the last day and I'll I'll be restored to my body and yeah. in glory, you know? And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. But then that little phrase, those who believe in him will not perish. So the implication is that, yeah. This is it. I mean, there's really something at stake that Christianity isn't a game. It isn't just an optional spirituality. It isn't just a better way than Buddhism. It's it's the way yeah, that yeah. the Lord has established by which people can have eternal life and avoid perishing. So there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And it really matters what our response is to the light that God gives to our soul.
3: Yeah, just like jumping off of that point, I personally have never heard a homily that speaks into like the agony of hell or like the repercussions of our sins, which I don't know. I think there should be more of that, of course. But for some reason, I think a lot of, Um, secular people, non-believers, that's all they believe. Like all of the Catholic guilt that comes with Mm. being a Catholic. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum. Jimmy tells a story of his Catholic uh, school experience where the confession, (laughs) the confessional was, yeah. 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 You know, we were like made (laughs) to think that confession was punishment. Right. Mm. It's like, if you do something wrong, which is true, if you do something wrong, you should go to confession. But (laughs) as a kid, it was just like this thing of like, oh, you felt so much shame because they made you feel shame around it. And now as an adult, it's like, man, I I like want to go to confession. I need to go to confession. Mm-hmm. And it, you feel so good afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a thing that I had to, it took like a year to like mm-hmm. unlearn yeah. that yeah. and not feel like mm. bad going yeah. into it, but feel good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so 100%. Yeah. yeah. I guess how do we find a balance between like that fear-mongering tactic and then also just like speaking truth about yeah. the reality of heaven and hell.
2: Yeah, well, you just put a couple of really good issues out on the table. Um, guilt. Uh, there's mm. good guilt and bad guilt. Mm. Mm. You know, one of the Psalms says, as long as I kept my sin hidden, you know, my body wasted away, you know. So, you know, guilt can be a sign that we've done something wrong. And it's, and then it's mercy. You know, it's it's good that we feel guilty about doing wrong things. Yeah. And then... We know how to get rid of the guilt, you know, mm-hmm. by confessing our sins to the Lord, and if it's serious, going to confession. But then there's false guilt, there's wrong guilt, there's neurotic guilt, there's you know guilt that needs counseling, that needs healing, that type of thing. That's false guilt. Mm-hmm. But to kind of talk about guilt as bad, which which a lot of the world is doing today, is is absolutely it's cutting off salvation it's cutting off Mm. a little warning that the holy spirit's given us saying that this is not the right thing that you're doing this is not the right path that you're taking you really need to turn back this is wrong you're offending god and you're damaging yourself and other people so yeah Mm. good guilt yay it's it's mercy it's god's provision Mm. reaching out to us calling us back bad guilt yes get counseling whatever Mm. (laughs) now the, the thing you raised about uh you you haven't heard very much about about the consequences. Right. I think that's a huge, huge, huge problem. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, there's a, there's a line in Romans, I think Romans 11, that says, Paul says, consider both the kindness and the severity of God. Mm. Now, that sounds a little severe, but it's not. It's the kindness and the severity of God. And so for the last 40 or 50 years, actually since Vatican II, uh, we've been mainly hearing about the kindness of God, right? Yes. Mm. You know, God is loving, he's merciful, he's wonderful, you know, you know, you're loved, you know, affirming people. And that's that's really a part of the message, a very important part of the message. But there's consequences for not paying attention to what Jesus actually asks us to do. Mm. You know, if you say, you love Jesus and God loves you. But Jesus says, if you love me, do what I'm asking you to do. You know, it's not enough just to hear the word of God. It says time and time again, we need to heed it. We need to obey it. Mm. Hebrews chapter five, it says, Jesus became the source of salvation for those who obey him. Now, obedience is not popular today, is it? No, no. 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 (laughs) Who wants to obey anybody, anything about anything? But unless we humble ourselves and Mm. swallow our pride and submit ourselves to the Lord, we we can't he can't bring us to where he wants to bring us he can't bring us back to the father's house so there's consequences of not accepting the healing to our sickness and we will die you know eternally yeah. you know mm-hmm. if we don't accept the medicine that god is offering us in jesus and uh it's, it's not true that every road leads to God. It's not true that every religion that people have constructed in their own mind is gonna be salvific, you know? Mm. Buddha didn't die for our sins and rise again. Mohammed didn't die for our sins and rise again. Only Jesus did that. And only Jesus claimed to be the very word of God. And like in the gospel today, if you don't believe me, you're gonna die in your sins. You know, if you don't believe I am, if you don't believe who I am, my unique status is the very word of God. You're you're closing yourself off to the mercy that God wants to give you. So yes, if if I were to describe how many of our Catholics look at the world today, it goes something like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven and almost everybody's going that Mm -hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Narrow okay. is the door, difficult the road that leads to hell, and hardly anybody's going that way. Now, I know you array of hope people are Bible-believing Catholics. Yes, sir. So so what's wrong with this picture? It's opposite, right? Y- yeah. Now that's a little scary that yeah, yeah. most Catholics are believing something is the very opposite yeah. of what Jesus says. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 13 and 14, Jesus says, Broad and wide. Is the way that leads to destruction. Mm-hmm. And many are traveling that way. Narrow is the door that leads to life, difficult road, and few there are who are finding it. But we're not fundamentalists. So we need to take all the scripture about this together and what the church teaches about it. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God wills the salvation of the whole human race, but people have to avail themselves of that salvation, you know? And uh, it's pretty striking that. Jesus would say that, you know, some people say, well, that's how it was in Jesus's day. But that's pretty significant because this was, these were the chosen people. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the people who have been specially chosen by God. And then Jesus wept because his own people weren't responding to him. He said, because of that, you're going to suffer the consequences. You know, the the Roman armies are going to arrive. They're going to surround the city. They're not going to leave a stone standing upon a stone. And in 70 AD, that exactly happened. Mm -hmm. And the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem and, a million people died. That's the severity of God. There's consequences. It isn't like God yeah. wants anybody to suffer, but people choose suffering and bring yeah. suffering on themselves yeah. when they remove themselves from the blessing and protection of God. Mm. You know, like Moses said before he died, he said, hey, this way is life and this way is death. This way is blessing. This is way is curse. There's, from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible, there's a division, you know, and the Lord doesn't want so many people to be heading towards the destruction, but that's where evangelization comes in, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know
2: that's where prayer and, and sacrifice comes in. That that's where intercession comes in. That's where us lay people coming alive in Christ, reaching out to others and caring about their salvation, comes in. And I don't think there's going to be any serious response to the church's call to evangelization until we recover the fact that there's real consequences to not believing and not obeying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, we got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. And making the connections. Like, you know, when you, when you are experiencing suffering, trying to think about, like, where, where is this coming from? What did I do in the past yeah. that, like, led to this, essentially? Yeah. Um, you were talking about the roads. Uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, the narrow and the wide road. It reminds me of uh, St. Faustina's diary. Yes. She has that crazy vision, which is essentially the same thing, but yeah. a little more vivid of yeah. the wide road full of beaches and joy and fun yeah. and music yeah. and singing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they reach the end of it and there's this huge abyss yeah. and the people drop off yeah. into hell essentially. And then there's yeah. the narrow road, yeah. which is full of rocks and yeah. and 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 treacherous hazards, yeah. people are stumbling and and getting hurt and suffering. But then they reach the end, and there's this garden. Yeah, and they forget about all their sufferings.
2: I'm really impressed that you know that text from Saint Faustina. Why, well,
0: I, 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 these guys very, know I'm reading. He's the, wearing a buttoned-up yeah. shirt. It's, I got Faustina. I got <laughs> he's cheating. Where's the teleprompter? No. <laughs>
2: Most most people don't know that important aspect of what Jesus told St. Faustina. You know, the, the main message of the divine mercy revelations and devotion is God is so merciful that the greatest of sinners should not hesitate to come to the Lord for forgiveness. You know, God's so eager to forgive the greatest of sinners. But if people don't come and humble themselves and say, I need mercy, I need forgiveness they're going to fall off the edge yeah. you know that type of thing and and that's a, that's an exact description of Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 14 mm-hmm. and there's so many texts in in Saint Faustina's revelations like in section 741 one the lord sends her an angel to take her on a vision of hell, a tour of hell, mm. and says, write it down. So nobody can say it doesn't exist and nobody's ever been there, you know? So, so one of the things the Lord's trying to do in Our Lady of Fatima with St. Faustina and just so many others, she's trying to say, believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus says; it's real, you know. Mm-hmm. You know we're we're, get, we're being shown mercy by the Lord, trying to remind us of the revealed truth of the Word of God. Yeah, so I'm I'm impressed that you know that. Really, not too many people do. Well, I, I have
0: Mario to thank for inspiring me to read the diary. So,
2: but a lot of people read the diary and don't don't notice that.
0: Well, I, I've yet to get to the section you're talking about—the vision of hell. That that sounds wild. So, yeah. Well, what
2: you got about the two ways is pretty powerful. Like yeah. you say, it's a very vivid. It's description. amazing. Yeah. How, how,
0: so what's your guidance Dr. Martin in terms of making sure knowing that we're on that narrow path because I mean a lot of your work is 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 based in spiritual um progression yeah. and spiritual evolving and progressing in the spiritual life growing closer to that beat beatific vision. Yeah. How can we know cuz you were talking about suffering too and and you know obviously God doesn't want us to suffer but because we're in a fallen world a fallen universe now suffering has entered in. Yeah,
2: and he permits suffering and he, he's ready to accompany us through suffering. I mean, you know, all of us are programmed to die because of sin, you know? Yeah. You don't know it yet, but you're programmed to die. You know, that type of thing. This. All of me, all of, me, all of, me, all of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you, you don't know what you're gonna die from, but you already have a terminal disease, you know. Mm, probably the doctors in Jersey aren't really keen on telling you that, but that's, <laughs> look at the Bible, that's <laughs> true. You know, if you do this, you're gonna die. So we're yeah. gonna die, you yeah. know. But death for a Christian can be really a doorway to paradise, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. But if we die in our sins, we're separating ourselves forever from God, you know, and that's that's not a happy state to die in. So, yeah, uh, but I didn't really respond to your questions, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like like knowing, um, yeah. be, discerning, essentially, yeah. that we're on the narrow path, yeah, right?
2: Well, the narrow path is Jesus, and one one of the things that Francis de Sales says, he says, it appears to be narrow in the initial stages of conversion, you know, it is painful to turn away things we were clinging to for Mm -hmm. satisfaction or fulfillment that, were disordered. Uh, and it's the, the process of the initial purification, the initial turning away from serious sin, mm. the initial kind of freeing ourselves from relationships that weren't right relationships is painful. So Francis de Sales says, you know, the narrow way appears as narrow and painful in the initial stages of conversion. But then once you kind of get through those initial stages, it's like you're on a beautiful path, you know, and yeah. the the path is Jesus, you know, Jesus, the narrow way is the person of Jesus and the person of Jesus, all the riches and treasures of God are put in Jesus. So there's this immense treasure, you know, awaiting us, you know, yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. But one, one of the things I like to tell people is that Catholicism isn't just the flat, boring, stable thing where you're hatched matched and dispatched you know Mm. where you're baptized married and buried you know but it's like supposed to be a journey you know Mm. whatever deeper union with god ever deeper conformity to his will and and jesus like in the gospel today it says you know if you are my disciples and you uh, live according to my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if we begin to obey the Lord and his word and go through the struggle of turning away from serious sin and other sins, sorry for stepping on your foot. (laughs) (laughs) We will come to understand the faith, you know, in in a way that actually frees us you know, uh, you know and, and it frees us to love, frees us to praise, frees us to give. Mm-hmm. Most Catholics are afraid to love, afraid to praise, and afraid to give. Mm-hmm. So they really need to kind of enter onto the spiritual journey. And it, it all begins with, with conversion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Catholics are used to like a very lukewarm vision of Catholicism, like, yeah, going to church on Sunday, yeah, you know, type of thing, and sending your kids to Catholic school, getting kids baptized. But... Mm-hmm it's supposed to be a living relationship that just goes on and on and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so a lot of Catholics need to wake up to the fact that they need to go through a certain conversion that, that makes the word of God come alive to them. They need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they need to get connected to other people who want to make this journey together And because it's really hard to do all by yourself. So, so anyway, yeah. I've written this book, you know, The Fulfillment of All Desire, beautiful. a yeah, guidebook yeah. for the journey to God based yeah. on the witches and the saints, and it talks about all those stages of spiritual growth and all that kind of stuff. But the important thing is just to know that there's more. Never settle for where you are. There's always more. Mm. There's always more of the Lord. There's always more freedom. There's always more understanding of the truth. There's always more participating in the mission uh, of Jesus wow. to seek and to save those who are lost. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was telling them uh, the other day that I, uh, on Ash Wednesday, I went to this church that out of just convenience, it was really close to where I live. so popped in. and um and the homily, it like started off really nice about Ash Wednesday, and then it it kind of took a left turn about, um, you know, i I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, the priest was saying, you know, if you're here for security and you know kind of that North Star and structure in your life and consistency, you're in the wrong place. God constantly wants us to change and God is constantly changing. So you have to be comfortable with, with that. So I, I remember kind of looking around and people were kind of, I mean, there a lot of people, it's New York, so a lot of people wearing masks still. So I really tell, I'm just there kind of like, uh, uh, breathing heavily on everybody. No, um, but uh, so th- that, I mean, it's it kind of, you're like, hmm, that doesn't make any sense. But it sounds really nice. It sounds yeah. like so how do people you were talking about, you know, people need to convert and and be you know, um it's that going deeper into the relationship, but what um how do people navigate and what's the church's answer to people converting for the wrong reasons, for the wrong Catholicism? So mm-hmm. someone who's there, let's say someone was it was their first mass, they mm-hmm. sit down and somebody says something like that, you go, mm-hmm. "Oh, actually this sounds great. I had no idea." that's what Catholic teaching is, that yeah. we have to accept these constant changing things. And, mm-hmm. and thank God we have men, I just mean like humans, to tell us when it changes. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so there's really nothing to kind of fall back on. Mm. And just complete misinterpretation of of scripture. So navigating the crises and this gets
2: back to what I said, you know, when you asked your first question. Mm -hmm. We've gotta recover our understanding of the unique authority Mm -hmm. of, of sacred scripture as it's understood through the whole history of the church, as we find it in the catechism of the Catholic Church today. The catechism of the Catholic Church is a very reliable guide to what has been revealed to us for our salvation mm. and all the aspects of Catholic faith. Now, there are German bishops who are going off the deep end and even bishops and cardinals in the United States are saying, we really need to change the catechism and we need to accommodate more to where people are today in the area of sexuality. And quite honestly, hold on to your current edition of the catechism because some of the changes they're wanting to make are really departing from the faith. Right. You know, so people need to know the word of God so they're able to discern what people are saying to them. Then they also need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus says, my own know my voice and I know mine and they know me. So we need to kind of get to become accustomed to what it's like to be in relationship with the Lord and what what he kind of feels like, what he sounds like, and also knowing objectively his word. So that when people say things that are puzzling or strange or confusing, we say, you know, that doesn't sound quite right. You know, you know, I'm not gonna kind of take that in until I understand better what's being mm-hmm. said, type of thing. You know? Yeah. And then when in doubt, go to the catechism, go to the back of the catechism, look it up. On oh, yeah. the index. Yeah, right.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. We are all called to be good stewards, whether that means making wise financial decisions for our families, for our parishes, or for organizations that we may advise or direct. Owning gold and silver is easy, and we're happy to be partnered with St. Joseph's, who has exclusively focused on helping families protect their wealth in gold and silver for over a decade. Their pricing is very competitive, and their dedicated retirement team was recognized last year as only one of two dealers in the nation who meet the stringent criteria of integrity, value, and dependability by an independent trust company. Take the steps today to protect your family from potential financial stress and allocate some of your hard-earned dollars to gold and silver as good stewards. Go to www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash Array of Hope to learn how you can protect your loved ones at this important moment in history. Again, that is www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash Array of Hope gotcha so would that be
1: the answer to how to avoid tribalism in the church with different parishes kind of teaching their own almost like you think of it it sometimes it feels like um you know when you watch an old western and there's just that one chapel in the middle of nowhere and of, of course the preacher there is like a nightmare like <laughs> selling elixirs and just kind of like <laughs> <"You got>
4: it. <laughs>
1: Tarnation. uh really great memorable dialogue from those yeah. movies but it, it, it's like the one man is instituted in that little parish in that middle of nowhere town and he kind of becomes god and yeah. a lot of times you can see that in certain parishes that the priest yeah be, be, comes God in his mind and starts changing teachings.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, we've always had kind of different emphases and different trends amongst Catholics uh, that never quite degenerated to the point of tribalism like we're actually seeing today. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say one of the the areas where we're seeing tremendous polarization is concerning the liturgy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like... uh, Some people are saying that the liturgy that was developed after Vatican II is a Protestant invention and, uh, you know, really is not respectful of God and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then other people are saying that the Latin liturgy is obscure and people don't really know what's going on. They don't understand Latin. Mm -hmm. And so there's like a a little bit of a battle going on type of thing. And Mm I, you know, I think we need to kind of take the stance of like whatever the church is permitting in this area that we need to accept it and respect each other. And if there's people that prefer the Latin liturgy, uh, you know, let's let's say, praise the Lord, we're glad that you get so much out of it, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever the bishop allows in a particular diocese. But but we shouldn't have people saying, well, my liturgy is better than your liturgy, right. or yours is authentic," or, yeah. you know, the, the Novos Ordo liturgy can be celebrated with great reverence mm-hmm. and great, participation and great holiness. There's a priest in Ann Arbor when he says mass, it's like, whoa, he's talking to God, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there's just a a tremendous sense of the Lord's presence and worship. So we we need to like, Not polarized over things like that because we have a common enemy today, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we need to unite together over the basics of the faith. And so, I think there's a real danger to right in the Catholic Church. I've never thought I'd see the kind of division that I'm seeing now amongst bishops, bishops' conferences, cardinals, open conflict, open disagreement, mm-hmm. and you know, either we're going to devolve into another version of the Anglican Church we already are in some ways where certain parishes and certain dioceses move in a certain direction, teach something different really. Mm. Others which are orthodox, others which are saying let's accommodate to the culture, or the Lord's gonna do something to somehow deal with the confusion, the tribalism, the disunity, and bring us back into a reasonable measure of unity. So. I, I think things are up for grabs right now. It's a very serious time in the history of the church, and we need to ask God to have mercy on us because the tribalism is real and it's mm. it's more serious than I've ever seen before.
0: Yeah, um, that that reminds me. It, or it's very reminiscent of the East-West Schism, ten fifty four. That might be extreme, but but uh, it was recently brought back to my attention. Uh, this past weekend, I met a an interesting fellow who is a religious historian.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: He grew up Catholic, but he's now Episcopalian. Yeah. And, but he teaches at Loyola in Chicago. Yeah. And, but maybe, maybe Dr. Martin, if you could talk a little bit about um, the, the apostolic succession in relation to the schism perhaps. Because I think this might harken back to Jimmy's, Jimmy's line of questioning in terms of like most things Catholics don't know. Or Or
3: we're taught Improperly.
0: Yeah, or we're taught improperly, especially yeah. with all just the array of churches and mm-hmm. denominations. Yep. Um, like how, how can we as Catholics know that that we have Jesus, that the Catholic church is the, is the church that Jesus founded, especially in light of the importance of, of Rome yep. and, and, the, and the rock, Peter, yep. that Christ built his church on.
2: Yeah, well... It's really interesting to hear what a lot of these prominent Protestant converts to Catholicism say they say they had this whole kind of picture of the church that you know it really kind of fell away after the you know the early church and it wasn't until Martin Luther recovered things that we really recovered the gospel and mm-hmm. you know and so it goes on from there. Yeah. But what they say is that when they began to study the early church or the early fathers of the church, they said, you know what? it was the Catholic church from the beginning. You know, it had bishops, it had sacraments, you know, it had authority, Mm. uh, and Rome had a particular place in it. You know, the other city churches, the other regional churches would appeal to the Bishop of Rome when there was an issue that Mm. needed to be settled. Mm. And so the, the basic structure of the Catholic church is really there from the beginning, comes from Jesus and the apostles, and it makes a lot of sense. If Jesus wanted his message to be transmitted for thousands of years, he needed to establish an institution mm. that had the responsibility for passing on the faith. So so that's really important. And I think the Catholic Church has clearly been established by Christ. Uh, despite all its problems, I would never think of leaving it. It's the place yeah. where the fullness of the means of salvation are. However, <clears throat> apostolic succession and the role of the Bishop of Rome mm. Isn't enough to safeguard the church from bad decisions, mm. infidelity, mm. apostasy, heresy. What you know, the the promise of infallibility is that the church will never formally teach error. Mm. But interviews on airplanes is not magisterial teaching. Uh, <laughs> sections of papal documents that are a little flaky aren't magisterial teaching. There's a level of authority even within papal documents. So today there is a lot of confusion about what's being said by bishops, cardinals, and even in Rome. And uh, that's why Catholics need to understand that the promise of Christ to, to kind of be with the church to all ages doesn't mean that the church will survive in certain areas of the church, if there area of the world, if there isn't fidelity and courage. The church used to be very strong in North Africa. It's completely disappeared. The church used to be strong in Western Europe, and it's almost disappearing, Mm. and Mm. native populations in these countries are almost disappearing because people aren't getting married and having babies anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a tremendous turning away from God's purpose and plan. and So you know, they used to call France the eldest daughter of the church. You know, missionaries used to go forth from Ireland, from Belgium, from Holland, all over the world, and those things are collapsing. So, the promise of Christ to be with the church doesn't extend to particular areas of the church that aren't being faithful to Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that speaks to the scripture, I think it was Paul, you can correct me on this, please, Uh, that says that the church of the future will be a a smaller, more localized
2: church? Yeah, Pope Benedict. Yeah. Oh, is was
0: Benedict? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when,
2: uh, when he was just a priest back in 1970 mm. in Germany, mm. he said, most people don't realize this yet, but, uh, you know, it goes back to a little bit to Nietzsche. Okay. I actually did my senior essay on Nietzsche and Plato when I was at Notre really? Dame. Really? Yeah. Mm. And, and Nietzsche said, people don't realize it yet, but God is dead.
0: Yeah. And, he,
2: and he says, you killed them. You know, that basically secular culture began to, infiltrate European intellectual life. And even though people still kept to the form of religion, they didn't really believe it. And it really wasn't at the center of their life. He says, and once God is dead, everything is permitted. Yeah. You know, you're now beyond good and evil and all you're left with is the will to power. And that's the environment we're living in today. Nihilism. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 There's, there's, there's no longer objective right and wrong. There's no longer objective truth and, and falsehood. It's now the will to power. Who controls the narrative? Who controls the institutions? Who controls the money? Who controls the power? Who controls the media? And the degeneration of journalism in our day is incredible. Oh, crazy. I mean, people are committed to an ideology, not to objective reporting. You know, so we're living mm-hmm. now in the beyond good and evil kind of stage of things.
0: I just found it so interesting because he he was really focusing on those areas of history, or at least wh- wherever he could find writing of mm-hmm. it, that, that almost put the Catholic church in a bad light. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he's teaching at at a Catholic university. And it's a Jesuit university, but like that shouldn't matter. Like they've been am- amazing Jesuits. Like uh, starting with Ignatius. And yeah. I was telling these guys yesterday, I have, I have a soft spot for uh, Father Walter Chizek. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. You know, his, uh, He Leadeth Me, just life-changing yeah. book. So because just because it's a Jesuit school with the whole stigma of, of it, it shouldn't matter. But like, how is it that, how is it that he's teaching there when like he's he's attending a church that is completely yeah. contradictory to the church's teachings. It's yeah. like there's 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 woman priests yeah. and and who who are lesbians yeah. and but we're also getting into like the scripture. You know, like uh, Christ said, like haven't you read from the beginning that God created the man yeah. and woman?
4: Yeah.
0: So like it's like what the heck is going on, especially in the education system? Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is unfortunately
2: where the battle is really at today. Yeah. You know, the, the the tip of the spear that's coming against the church is in the area of sexuality, sure, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's that's where they want to create a new creed for us to profess our belief in. And now they want to call hate speech traditional Christian teaching. Yeah, yeah You know, yeah. in in England, they just passed some hate speech laws where, you know, if somebody says something that you're, offended by, you can complain to the police who file charges against them. <laughs> and then the judge who heard the first case said certain things in scripture can't be said anymore. So what we're doing is we're, we're replacing the revealed word of God with the, the power of the culture. And what the, where the culture's really at today is the sexual revolution of the 60s is reaching its insane conclusion mm-hmm. where anything goes and nothing is fixed and nothing means anything. And you can decide whatever gender you are and everything. And it's just a lie. You know, it's, it's a scientific lie. You know, yeah. your DNA tells you what you are, you know, and if you're, experiencing gender confusion, get some help to sort it out, you know? Yeah. You know, gender confusion can be a real thing and it needs real treatment, oh, but oh, yeah. to to try to solve your gender confusion by pretending you're a different gender is, is a recipe, I think, for continual and ongoing frustration and pain, you know? Yeah. So... We've gotta get really clear as a church again Mm -hmm. about what God's revealed to us about this. (laughs) And and it's like what you said, God created a male and female for the purpose of coming together in a holy marriage, open to new life. That's the purpose of sexuality. So this is gonna sound really extreme, but up until recently, everybody believed it. Mm every exercise of genital sexuality outside of holy marriage is offensive to the Lord, it's disobedient, and it's damaging to the people. The Lord's Lord's revelation to us about the purpose of marriage and sexuality is not to rob us of pleasure or happiness or joy or fulfillment, is to lead us to real fulfillment and real joy and real freedom. And so masturbation, pornography, fornication, adultery, uh, doing active homosexual acts, and we're not talking about tendencies or temptations, we're talking about giving into those temptations, giving into those tendencies, and doing things <laughs> that Jesus tells us will exclude us from the kingdom of God. Mm, yeah. Like First Corinthians chapter 6, it says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. And my colleague at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit is on a committee to revise the New American Bible's translation. And she says, the underlying word for immorality there is porneia, Hmm. the sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. But we don't even need that translation change because Paul goes on to say, the fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual acts, (laughs) the thief, the robber, the drunkard will not enter the kingdom of God. But then the note of hope, hey, hope,
4: yeah, oh, yeah, array of hope. Array of hope. yeah. Paul, reason for hope. Yeah, Plug. Paul, yeah. Paul, Plug. Paul
2: says, "You were once involved in these things, but you've been set free by the power of God, the Holy Spirit." Amen. You know, Amen. And so, people can get free of being slaves to sin, and and the trouble is, is that sin makes you a slave. Yeah. You know, you become a slave. Like St. Augustine is a great patron saint of getting free of sexual slavery. Yeah. He, he had become so accustomed to a sexual relationship. He had a child out of wedlock. And by the time he wanted to become a Christian, he says, I don't, don't think I can do it. And he says, but I'm really a slave. I, I really can't get free myself. But he says, I'm responsible for having gotten to that point. By a whole lot of free repeated decisions earlier in my life that made me a slave. So even though I'm now literally a slave, and I need I need a rescue. Uh, I'm responsible for having gotten to that point. So thanks be to God. If somebody struggles, if somebody wants to get free, if somebody's willing to do the things they need to get free, avoid the near occasions of sin. Don't have more than one drink, or don't have any drinks. Get rid of your computer. Uh, stop have, stop hanging out with certain people. Yeah. Uh, you can get free. You know, go to confession. Uh, get Prayer for healing and deliverance. You can get free. Mm -hmm. It may take a while, but you can get free. And people need to know that. People need to be willing to turn away from things that they're deeply attached to that they don't think they can live without. They don't think they can be happy without because it's killing them. And 1 Corinthians chapter six isn't an isolated text. You know, Galatians chapter five. Mm -hmm. Paul goes through a similar list. He throws in a bunch of other stuff like orgies. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do these things will not Enter the kingdom of God. Mm. And remember what Vatican II teaches about how we should take scripture. Everything asserted by the sacred author should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit Mm. and to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error those truths which are there for our salvation. So Paul's saying this for our salvation, not to make us miserable, not to make us unhappy, but for our salvation. Yeah, okay. Ephesians chapter five, same thing. The impure person will not enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Revelations chapter 21, you know, Jesus in the gospel says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of he who can kill soul and body in hell. Yeah. And then, Revelation chapter 21 talks about the second death. So we shouldn't be afraid about the first death, biological death. We're all going to die if we die in the grace of God. But the second death is eternal separation from God. And it talks about, uses the image of the lake of fire. So who's thrown into the lake of fire? Who sort of consigns themselves to the lake of fire? Well, it says unbelievers, people who, refuse belief. They've been given the grace. They've been given the light. But, you know, people who are culpable for their unbelief. And then murderers, you say, okay, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Fornicators, wait a second. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. You know, everybody's living together before marriage. Well, it's wrong. You know, I, I was. I just gave a, a talk down in South Bend at Holy Cross College and a couple of guys from Notre Dame were there and they they came up to me and they asked the, the normal question that guys, I guess, are still asking. I didn't know they were still asking it. But it's like, how far can you go with uh-huh. a girl without it being, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sinful, you know? Classic.
3: You know. Classic. So I said, well, <laughs> out to dinner. What's Out to dinner. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I said, you know, well, the purpose of sexual arousal is to bring together a person in sexual intercourse. And, you, you shouldn't be stirring up sexual arousal if you're not in a position to have sexual intercourse. And they said, what about this? You know, <laughs> a friend of mine, he said, told, told me this, if if you think you're probably gonna get married, you know, and you're really in love with each other, it probably be okay then, you know? I said, well, probably isn't the same thing as getting married. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, A lot of people who are probably gonna get married don't get married. Mm-hmm and hmm. it hurts people it's really really devastating i mean to give yourself so completely to another person even though you think you're only doing it with your bodies you're not you mm. know and it is, it wounds the soul it mm. really does it, it it's it's traumatic and it leaves marks and it leaves wounds and it's it's damaging so, so I told the guys, you know, no clothes, but no cigar. You know? <laughs> no, you just have to live a chaste life and, until you're ready to make that commitment. And without the commitment, you shouldn't be giving each other, to, yourself to each other in that kind of total kind of way.
0: Hey, we love that you listen to Our Reason for Hope and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. I just, I wanna recognize your charity because, and that's something I've, all, I've noticed about you, especially when, when we interviewed, Mario interview, interviewed you, uh, you know, a year ago or something. Um, these are such divisive, difficult issues mm-hmm. um, that, that, is, that are facing the church. Uh, coming from the culture, but your charity in in tackling them and approaching them and explaining them and bringing light and hope to them. I mm-hmm. just want to recognize that. That's something that's always stood out to me from you. So thank thanks,
2: you. Thanks be to God. Glad to hear that. <laughs> it's really, really. really.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah, the, the, yeah.
2: Well, you know, a lot of times, something you said, Alanis, like, a lot of priests are reluctant to Really, tell the full truth, nothing but the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of intimidation and fear amongst the clergy, amongst bishops, right now, mm-hmm. uh, because the pressure from the culture is so strong. Like, mm-hmm. they're so afraid of being called uh, narrow, judgmental, hate speech. You're a hater, you know. Mm-hmm. If if you don't buy the LGBTQ agenda, you're a hater, you know. And you know, violence. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, violence and all or that kind of stuff. Violence. So, mm-hmm. and 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 unfortunately. Um, that's silencing the gospel. Mm. That's silencing mm-hmm. the very message that could deliver people from, from bondage to sin, from misery, from confusion. And uh, uh, one one of the things, that I'm, I'm so happy the Lord's given me so many opportunities to speak to priests. Like I, mm. I spoke to about a thousand priests last year, and it's wow. gonna be something like that nice. this year too. And wow. priests are <clears throat> intimidated by even their own congregation. Mm. Because you know you read the statistics you know half the people out there at mass even who are coming to mass don't believe what the church teaches and the priests know that yeah, yeah. and so they don't want to go <laughs> near those issues you know a lot of catholics have been captured by the culture particularly in the area of sexuality and also in the area of everybody's going to be saved and god's so merciful and all that kind of stuff no consequences it's all there right in the congregation so they say, i don't want to what if somebody gets up in my sermon and kind of starts shouting oh, at me? Gosh. Could I handle that, you know, type of thing? Or, mm. or what if our major donors, you know, stop giving? You know, mm. what will happen to our debt? Yeah. You know, type yeah. of thing. And
4: yeah.
2: uh, or will the bishop back me up? And he kind of knows the bishop won't back him up, but the oh, bishop will tell him, kind of cool it, kind of you know, don't don't rile things up. You know, your job is to not rock the boat. Well, unfortunately, our job is to rock the boat. Mm. Mm. And bring people to conversion. Mm-hmm. And that means that Jesus is a sign of contradiction. We don't want to mm. acknowledge that. We don't want to admit that. That most of the people that Jesus talked to didn't believe in him. They yep. wanted to take up stones. They wanted to stone him. Uh, so don't be afraid if people want to stone you if it's because you're being faithful to passing on the message of Jesus, you know, with love and with humility. And I think that is important, not condemnation, but but yeah, like Paul said. With tears, I say this. Mm, mm. He says, some have made themselves an enemy of the cross of Christ. With tears, I say this. You know, letting people know you really love them and you're really concerned about their salvation. uh, Mm. I think is really, really important when we communicate this message. But uh, a lot of priests know the bishop won't back them up because the bishop doesn't want to be a bad guy, you know, and 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 he doesn't want to lose his donors, and he doesn't want to take the bad press, he doesn't want to be called one of those narrow, rigid, doctrinal bishops, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So we got to get delivered from mm. cowardness. Mm. You know, who else is in the lake of fire? Revelation, cowards. Mm. That was a little surprising to me. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think it's related to what Jesus says in Matthew five. I think he says, "If you're ashamed of me before people," I'm gonna be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus is looking for loyal, faithful friends, and it's, it's, it's bad to yeah. disown Jesus, you know? Yeah. Now, we can be forgiven if we do that. Peter, you know, denied him and was forgiven. Of course. But that's not the ideal. Right. The ideal is, is the ideal of the martyrs, really. I'd, I'd rather die than deny Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of us, when we think about martyrs, we say, gee, I don't think i got the strength for that. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if I could do that or not. Well, we don't have the strength now, but if we're daily prayer, meditating on God's word, going to the sacraments, hanging out with people that want to follow the Lord, when the day comes, we will get the strength and the grace we need to not mm-hmm. deny Jesus. But um, isn't it amazing that cowards are in there with the murderers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks.
1: In in working and speaking with priests and and young men in the seminary and whatnot, do you find that obviously there's a whole spectrum of of reasons why men join the seminary, become priests, and and what's inspiring to them, and and different flaws that they work out. But do you do you see a connection between just technology and the distance of social media and how it separates actual? face-to-face interaction. And that could be a hindrance to some men joining the seminary. You know, they, they spend most of their time, and I can get swept up in this too. You watch video after video of like apologetics for a cool talk by this person. You're like, whoa, whoa, cool. Um, that's inspiring. And then then you go outside, and the moment you're confronted with somebody face to face, then you kind of back down. You're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm ready to do this. Yeah. I was you site, so fi- or was you was so fired the video
3: Instead of saying it yourself, like, oh, so, right. You know, it, you, it, yeah, you, you, you get into regurgitation <laughs> yeah. instead of believing Google it. And then it, you you're so used to
1: seeing, you know, seeing a confrontation on a screen. And then when you're there and and the the energy that that happens when you're arguing with someone or somebody comes back to you, then maybe you're not as ready. Is that that a new thing that's being worked out with men in the seminary?
2: Well, use of social media is definitely being paid a lot of attention to, um, not just from the point of view of excessive use of it. Although John of the Cross said, people, there's people who are always going to conferences, always getting a new devotion, always kind of <laughs> like getting the latest spiritual input. He talks about spiritual gluttony.
0: Yeah. You know, mm.
2: and so yeah. we should be very moderate about mm. what we're taking in, even good stuff. You know, like wow. there's so many podcasts, and so many, everything going on in the sun. You should really ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what's what's useful for me and not just be a consumer of spiritual media even, mm. you know, type yeah. of thing. So, yeah. and, and we mainly need to be Paying attention to the Lord and learning how to pray always, you know, like during the day, just to be aware of the Lord and speaking to him and uh, living in his presence. And a certain amount of silence is important Mm -hmm. for that. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people are always have their earbuds on or always, you know, watching and listening. And we need to kind of stop that. You know, and and really kind of be still and know that He's God.
3: You know, so silence is is really important. So we all read your book as a ministry, and uh, we kind of wanted to end the podcast with what you think the hope of the future for the church is. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh,
2: way back in 1970, when Pope Benedict was just a priest, Father Ratzinger, he he gave a talk, and then he put it as a chapter in a book later, where he said, you know, most people don't realize this yet, but The church is going to go through a really painful process of purification. It's going to lose a lot of its prestige in society. It's going to lose a lot of its buildings, a lot of its money, a lot of its people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just going to be a very, very painful stripping away. But at the end of it, there's going to be a remnant uh, of people who are real believers, who are really living as disciples of Christ, in some kind of relationship with each other, and and then when people who are unspeakably lonely because of technological society come across these communities of believers, they're going to discover a hope that they never knew existed for mm. a real love and real real human life. You know, so I think that you know a church, the church is in crises. It's a very serious crisis, but we need to remember that Jesus is the Lord. You know. He, yeah. he's already won the victory and there's nothing happening today that isn't happening under the providence of God so mm-hmm. it's not the situation is not is not out of control from the point of God yeah and there's nothing happening that he's not allowing to happen because he's got a purpose to bring good out of it. Maybe he hopes that the world will eventually come to their senses as they see all the bad fruit of the rebellion from God that's going on like, almost every day I'm reading articles now by secular experts saying something's gone wrong with our young people, the anxiety, yeah. the depression, yeah. the suicide is just rising exponentially type of thing. So, yeah. well, you don't, know, gee, do you think it has anything to do with people being confused about whether they're a man or a woman? Do you yeah. think it has anything to do with confused about the meaning of sexuality or commitment or marriage, you know? Yeah. But I mean, maybe, maybe the Lord's allowing the evil beneath the surface to reach its extreme conclusion, hoping that people will wake up and repent And if not, they're they're consigning themselves to perishing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe he's allowing this to happen in the church because the church needs to get healthy. There's a a lot of immorality under the surface. There's a lot of infidelity under the surface. You know, if I were kind of to pick out an answer for why the German bishops are basically departing from the faith in the area of sexuality, I'd say years of skeptical scripture scholarship in Germany Laid the foundation for that. Mm. I think they don't believe what the Catholic Church teaches about sacred scripture. And so they feel a little freer to make it up as they go along and Mm. accommodate to the culture because they don't believe the inspired word of God, you know? So I think that the Lord may be allowing this stuff to surface in the church because there's been a lot of unbelief and a lot of immorality under the surface, you know? and he wants to cleanse the church. Mm. And we're just gonna see how he pulls that off. I mean, it's really a a tricky undertaking, but the Lord is very capable of tricky undertakings and he's done a lot of them in the course (laughs) of history. So I I just believe that the hand of the Lord is in the whole thing as painful and as difficult as it is. He's got a plan to bring good out of it. And our job isn't to tackle the big issues. Our job is to make sure we're faithful disciples of Christ today and be a light of hope for those that we're
0: in relationship with. Mm that's beautiful I mean if 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 the church is the body of Christ which we believe it is and and if it's likened to our physical bodies and there is some corruption some disease there it has to be flushed out yeah. so that the blood the grace can yeah. flow through yeah. it freely right. and that, and like you said Dr. Martin that's going to take a that's going to take some purification which is going to hurt it's like yeah. ripping off the band-aid yeah. classic yeah. analogy um, so Dr. Martin, thank you so much for being with us. It's really an honor to have you on this podcast. Great thank to meet you. Well, thanks, thanks for
2: having me. And uh, it's great to talk to people who really want to follow Christ and want to know the truth and want to be a light for others, you know? So keep up, keep on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, pray for us. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you too. Okay. So, all right. We'll see you next time on A Reason for Hope Candid. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of A Reason for Hope Candid. Next week's podcast episode features Mario Costabile's interview with Myra Adams. They will be discussing... The Shroud of Turin. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast so you're always in the loop for new releases. And make sure to follow Array of Hope on social media and check out AOH Music. All this information can be found in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be with you next week for our interview with Myra Adams titled The Burial Cloth of Jesus. Until next time, peace be with you.